Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, May the 27th, 2020, titled HBO Max Head Says Snyder Cut Far Less Complete and More Expensive Than Thought. We're really glad you're here, guys. Remember, if you're listening to the podcast, you can also get your comments or questions on the live questions part of the show by going to the tip link in the description of this podcast at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can get your question on the show and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. We just mentioned that uh, today on top of SpaceX launching HBO Max has launched. Now, they released a list the other day that we talked about on the show of this really impressive lineup of movies over the decades that there was going to be available, including all the Harry Potter films are on there right now for everybody to watch and stuff like that. But, you know, I thought it'd be interesting to us. They also put out a list of all the DC movies, all the DC movies that are launching with it. Now, there are a couple of notable films missing. One and probably most noticeable is the Dark Knight trilogy isn't there. Now, that's eventually it'll be there. Clearly, that's just an issue that they still have licensing to other properties right, right now. So they'll get it eventually. But here's what they've got. All right. 1989's Batman, 92's Batman Returns, 95's Batman Forever, 1997's Batman and Robin, 1997's Steel, I know you're all going to get HBO Max, you guys can rush out and watch Steel again, Uh, the animated 2000 film Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, 2004's Catwoman, Uh, Batman the Gotham Knight, the 2008 animated film, the animated 2009 Wonder Woman film, the other all-time great classic Jonah Hex, Uh, 2011's Green Lantern, 2012's Batman, The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and Part 2, the animated franchise that came out uh, the uh, back-to-back years in 2013. The Lego Batman DC Heroes United 2013 animated film. Then, of course, we get into the DCEU. Uh, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Suicide Squad. The animated Batman The Killing Joke, which was terrible. And the 2017 The Lego Batman movie, which was awesome. Teen Titans The Judas Contract from 2017. Then, of course, other DCU films. Wonder Woman, Justice League, Aquaman. Teen Titans Go to the Movies, the 2018 animated. Shazam! And, of course, Joker. These are all the things that it's launching with. Now, I I mentioned, Rob, that there was, aside from the Dark Knight trilogy, there was one other kind of glaring omission there. And that is, of course, the most underrated comic book film of all time, The Man of Steel. But I'm sure that's just an issue of of licensing as well. Rob, HBO Max is coming out swinging. We talked about the other list of movies that they had. Obviously, one of the marquee things that HBO and Warner has going for them is their DC properties. Uh, What do you think about this lineup that they're coming out with? Look, I'm really excited for HBO Max. I, I mean, you know, they they they've got such great talk about a deep well of programming that I'll have at my fingertips. I mean, The Wire, you know, whatever. Uh, they're making the Green Lantern series that's supposed to have. Well, they're saying it's going to have the very highest of production values, which excites me to no end because I'm a huge Green Lantern core fan. So woohoo! I'm really excited, John. Uh, the price point is right. There's so much there, movies, shows, and they're just going to keep adding more. The real question is, will I be able to watch Dream On with the great Martin Tupper? Brian (laughs) Ben-Ben is the great Martin Tupper from the 90s, man. That was a show. You got old movie clips and boobs. 
And I'm telling you, as long as HBO puts that on HBO Max, all will be right with the world. There's, there's, then there's going to be an audience. Um, you know, Rob, I, I did mention, of course, that the one of the big missing things, of course, they got to get the Dark Knight trilogy on there. They, I mean, right. that's got to happen. I'm sure they have their roadmap of when they're going to have. Yeah, will. they'll have it eventually. But the other one, of course, missing is Man of Steel. Now, that's a big deal to me, obviously, because I am a Man of Steel fanatic. I've been saying for years. As a matter of fact, let's switch over. To the newest feature here on the John Campus Show, the Cavill Cam. Let's go over there right now. Uh, I am, of course, a, a Man of Steel fanatic. But not only, by the way, I just realized, not only do you have Cavill over here watching over the production, you can actually see in the shot, and this was not planned, you can see my shot, my, uh, my Jor-El. Hot yes, Toys. Hot Toys jor Russell Crowe. And I only have four Hot Toys and uh, Russell Crowe's jor is uh, one of them. And actually, you and know, he's what? I, flying, I th- John. You have him posed. He's and flying. I have him posed flying because he's Jarrell. Um, you know, I, I've been saying for a long time, let me take this opportunity to do this. You know, I've been saying for, you know, everybody knows it. I've been saying for seven years now, uh, Man of Steel, one of the greatest comic book movies of all time, a most underrated comic book movie of all time. But you know what? I, it's been a very, very long time, Rob, since I've done any kind of a, a deep dive into why do I think that man of steel is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time why do i think that it is the most underrated comic book film of all time so i decided to put together a little editorial and it's going to debut a little bit later tonight on my youtube channel it is a full 25 minutes long wow uh, granted but it is an editorial i thought i would finally put down um, my thoughts about why this is the case. Now, it's important to note that I did not make this to try to tell other people who don't like it, you're supposed to like it. Not at all. If you don't like Man of Steel, that's great. No problem. But I just thought for saying for seven years that I think it's one of the best comic book films, I should probably really flesh out and go a little bit more into a deeper dive as to why I consider it to be the most underrated comic book film of all time. So we have a video coming later today called The Case for Man of Steel, the most underrated superhero film of all time. That's coming out a little bit later today. It's a full 25 minutes long. But I thought I would share with you guys just a quick, like this is not the exact first two minutes, but these are two of the first minutes of this 25-minute piece. That's just kind of the introduction. And I want to share that with you now. Uh, it, the full video comes later today, but here's the little thing to check Ooh, I'm out. I'm excited. <laughs> take, take a look at it. When talking about Man of Steel and how underrated it is, one has to remember the context in which it came out. By July of 2014, when Man of Steel debuted, there was no such thing as the DCEU yet, and it had been just one year since the conclusion of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Marvel's MCU had already released seven feature films, Iron Man in May of 2008, The Incredible Hulk in June of 2008, Iron Man 2 in April of 2010, Thor in April of 2011, Captain America The First Avenger in July of 2011, The Avengers in April of 2012, and Iron Man 3 in April of 2013. Comic book films were on the cusp of becoming the most dominant genre at the box office with the last two MCU movies, The Avengers making $1.5 billion at the box office and Iron Man 3 making over $1.2 billion at the box office. As if the expectations for a Superman movie, the granddaddy of all superheroes, wasn't already high enough, the added inflated expectation of the MCU's success and living in the shadow of the Dark Knight trilogy took the expectations to a whole new level. But Man of Steel also faced a unique and daunting challenge 
challenge that, quite frankly, the MCU films never did. A long history of beloved previous movies and TV incarnations, each of which gave audiences some understandably preconceived notions of what this Superman should be like, what this Superman should act like, and what this Superman should talk like. It was this environment that Man of Steel debuted in 2013. The environment didn't make the movie any better or any worse, but I think it's important to keep those circumstances in mind when thinking back to what the audience's initial reaction to it were. So with that out of the way, let's talk about Man of Steel itself. You see, to me, Zack Snyder's film audaciously attempts, and in my opinion achieves, some of the most bold, honest and grounded storytelling we have ever seen in the comic book genre. It addresses both huge global issues and small intimate character-driven ones that culminates in a character-driven film with tremendous action and a universe-spanning mythos that delivers the best pure superhero origin story ever put to film. With that down, guys, uh, let's move on to our main topics today. And we're going to start things off on our main topics today with our friend Geeky Gator who writes in. Hey, John and gang, unlike when James Gunn was let go from Marvel, Scott Derrickson didn't seem to get a lot of requests from other studios immediately after he left Doctor Strange 2. His next project has now been revealed. Uh, he will direct the Labyrinth sequel. He seems to be a perfect fit for the property. What do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Robert Meyer Burnett broke this live as we were doing the show near the end of the show yesterday. <laughs> but this is exactly what's going on with this. This comes to us from the good folks over at Deadline who writes, Scott Derrickson, who passed on reprising as a director on Doctor Strange 2 uh, over creative differences, has found a new fantasy franchise to take on. He has been set by TriStar Pictures to direct the sequel to Jim Henson's Labyrinth. Maggie Levin, who wrote and directed Into the Dark and My Valentine for Hulu will write the script. So, Rob, this is something that kind of uh, came out on the show yesterday as we were talking about it. And, you know, Labyrinth is one of those films that we have thought for maybe a little while could possibly get that treatment, could get that, you know, a, a revisiting, if you will. I always kind of thought that if they were going to do it, they might go the route of a Duncan Jones uh, to do something like that, that Duncan Jones would be the one since he was, you know, David Bowie's kid and stuff like that. And he is a tremendous director in yeah. and of himself. Uh, but, you know, Scott Derrickson did such a tremendous job, Rob, with Doctor Strange. And he's been a very good director, specifically in the horror genre long before that. Uh, this is actually a nice little fit. What do you think about the news of, of him doing a Labyrinth film? I, You know, I, I think it's great. I think it's a great idea. If, if it's anything even closely approaching the quality of Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, I think we're in for a real treat. The The lead producer on this movie is somebody that, well, played a, a part in my very early career in the entertainment business. She was a complete uh, inspiration to me, and, and that was Lisa Henson, who I met at Warner Brothers. And she is, if anyone can turn this into something great, it is her. And I am very, very excited for this. Look, I'm not the biggest Labyrinth fan in the world, but I like Labyrinth. All I can say is, John, two words, two words about this. Jennifer Connelly. You know yeah, I knew saying? those were the, give me the words. Jennifer Connelly are my two words for all of you out there. And I have to tell you, you know, Jennifer Connelly, people forget what a wacky career she had. I mean, she was in Dario Argento's Phenomena. 
you know, she was in this. She was in Dennis Hopper's The Hot Spot. I mean, she was not only was she uh, she one of the most beautiful women uh, on film today, but she 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 had this strange early career working in fantasy films and horror as well. And I I hope they bring her back because I would love to see where her character is at today. And I think it's going to be awesome. I, I'm really excited for this. Yeah, and I'm excited to see what what he does uh, next as well. Listen, guys, question is, what do you think about them? Are you thinking maybe, hey, Labyrinth, just leave it alone? Do you like this direction? Do you think like I did that maybe it would have been kind of you know poetic to have Duncan Jones come? What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets sent into us from the Cinemike, who writes, Hey, John, avid viewer here. Well, thank you so much, man. Variety has reported that Amazon is developing a series centering on Lizbeth Salander. The show is currently titled The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but it will be a completely new story. The last <clears throat> movie, The Girl in the Spider's Web, did not do well at the box office. What can you say about this report? Do you think a TV version is the best new direction for the franchise? All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, I am a big fan like a lot of people are of girl with the dragon tattoo obviously like everybody else i like the original foreign version but i'm a little bit in the minority that i actually even preferred the north american remake i i actually did i mean it puts me in the minority but, but i really did i thought it was even better i, I part point is i think they're both great yeah the last incarnation they did uh girl caught in the spider's web didn't do so well the marketing wasn't great for that the marketing wasn't great, and so it didn't get the response they were hoping for. That's fine. So now we do get word that they're going to turn it into a franchise. This comes to us from Variety, who writes, Amazon is developing a series centered on the Elizabeth Slander character, the character created by Stieg Larsson for the so-called Millennium Books. The project, which is currently titled The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, will not be a sequel or continuation of the story from the books or the films into which they were adapted. It will instead take Slander and place her in today's world with a wholly new setting and new characters and new story. This, of course, comes to us from Variety. And I'm going to tell you, off the top of my head, I, I kind of like this idea. I like the idea of try, taking an existing IP. You've kind of done what you can do with it on the screen up to this point. So why not try taking it and doing something a little bit interesting? Look, the most intriguing thing for me about the series is the Lizbeth character. That, that She's the center of this universe. That's always been, whether it's the original film or the remake, whatever, she's been the main point of interest to me as a viewer. So to see a series, and Rob, this reminds me a lot of, you know, uh, Jack Ryan. You know, this reminds right. me a lot of the Jack Ryan situation with John Krasinski. I mean, this isn't, this, the show is an exact adaptation of something that came before. It's just taking this character that people really attach to and giving them new stories to tell in a series format. And it seems to me that, and by the way, that's another Amazon, that's an Amazon thing. It seems to me like that's the same approach they want to take with that. And if they can achieve, and this is a big if, Rob, but if they can achieve the same kind of results that they achieved with John Krasinski's Jack Ryan, which I think is really good then I think we could be in for something pretty special. So is this a guaranteed home run? No, but I think it's definitely worth something trying. So I like this news. Rob, what do you make of this? I'm a huge, huge fan of the books and of the original three Swedish movies because they were originally done for television. I, of course, own the extended versions of all three movies 
on Blu-ray, as you might imagine. I thought Fincher's version was obviously handsomely mounted. I didn't think it was quite as successful. And I liked The Girl in the Spider's Web, although it was based on a book that was written after Steve Larson's death. I love the character. I love the milieu. I love this idea that they're the magazine millennium and all that. I don't know if that'll be in there. And the actor uh, who played Michael Bloomquist uh, passed away a couple years back. And I, I love everything about this. The fact that they're going to do this, as long as it's good. I thought the first season of the Jack Ryan show, it's, it's a very apt uh, comparison you made, was very, very good. And it, it used some of the Jack Ryan mythology because I've read all those books, too. And and I, I really enjoyed it. The second season was good, but it wasn't as great as the first. I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that I think this could be really, really cool. But again, you know, you really need showrunners that really get this show like mm. like uh, I or get the get the franchise. It's really this will live and die on the character of Elizabeth and how she is portrayed. I thought. Both Rooney Mara, Mara and the, the Fincher version and Nomi Rapace, of course. That's how the world saw her. Nomi Rapace was she, Nomi was great as Elizabeth Salander. Ooh, loved it. Uh, and you know what? I, I, I'm forgetting Claire, the girl who played uh, the queen in, um, uh, in in the Netflix series. And I'm forgetting her name, who then played Elizabeth in um, in a Girl oh. Caught in the Spider's Web. She, I thought yeah, yeah. she actually, her portrayal. Claire Foy. Claire, Claire Foy. Foy, thank you. Her portrayal of the character, I actually thought was pretty solid. You know, it, was should, a, it was a weaker uh, film. Yeah, I should give me a, give a shout out to that. And, you know, I actually thought the movie was it was pretty good. Like as a it, it was bad. beautifully it, it was the um Freddie Al is Fade Alvarez, right, who did Evil Fede, Dead. Yep. Direct yeah, Fede Fede Alvarez. He he I thought it was a a very very it, it's a good movie, you know, compared to the first one, I don't know, but I thought it was definitely as far as a, a very serviceable sequel, I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. All right, guys, the question here for you is, what do you think about them doing a Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series on Amazon? Amazon's done a pretty good track. They've got a pretty good track record with this kind of stuff. Do you think you see some upside? Do you think it's destined for disaster? How do you feel about it? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Edwin Perez, who writes, Hey, John and crew. Weeks ago, it was reported that Tom Cruise and Elon Musk's SpaceX were teaming up for a movie to be shot in outer space. As ridiculous as that sounds, everybody, it's absolutely true. A deadline is now reporting that Edge of Tomorrow director Doug Lyman is set to direct. For me, this is a great choice. What do you guys think? Thank you. And keep up the socially safe filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah, listen, I think, first of all, I thought the idea of Tom Cruise doing a movie in, in outer space is as inevitable as Thanos himself. I mean, we all just knew that was coming. At some point, Tom Cruise was going to run out of absolutely ridiculous, crazy things to do. He's going to have to go into outer space and he's doing it. I like that idea. Doug Lyman doing it with him is a logical choice, Rob, because Tom Cruise has shown he likes working with the same people, whether it's a Christopher McQuarrie, a Doug Lyman. When he feels like he makes stuff that works with somebody, he likes to go back and work with them again. And of course, with Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat several times over, um, 
they had a lot of success. That movie was really good. Here is the report that comes into us from the folks at Variety. After NASA confirmed their plan to work with Tom Cruise and Elon, Elon Musk SpaceX on a film that would be shot in outer space, sources tell Variety that the project has found its director, Doug Lyman, who worked with Cruise on Edge of Tomorrow and an Amer- and American Made and has come on to direct the mystery movie, which will par- partly be filmed in outer space. Now, that's been kind of the big thing here is that partially filmed in outer space. We've never really known for sure. What does that exactly mean? Does that mean half the movie is going to be shot in outer space? Does it mean there's going to be a sequence shot in outer space? Like to what degree is it going to be? And I don't know, Rob, you and I spec- speculate it's probably not going to be that much of the film because that would probably be cost but who knows? Maybe it's the whole damn thing. I like the addition of Lyman. Number one, because we've already said he works well with Tom Cruise. I mean, so that's that's an important thing right there. I like it. I don't like all of his movies, to be honest, but he's got a number that I get. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I think, is one of the great underrated action comedies ever. I think Mr. and Mrs. Smith is a wonderful film. What he did with that. I actually had the pleasure of working with Doug Lyman for a day and a half on Jumper because I I am. I'm an extra on Jumper. I'm in a couple of extra scenes in Jumper. So I got to be there for that. They shot it in Toronto, Ontario with Hayden Christensen. Good Canadian kid. Um, So I think this is a really nice addition. This is a director who knows what he's doing. He knows the genre. And Rob, he knows the star and producer that he's going to be working with. And they've probably got a shorthand already. So. Overall, I think this is good news. How do you what do you make of it? Hey, you know what? I think anything that advances humanity's push into the stars is good for me. And, you know, I thought it was going to be James Cameron, to be honest. But uh, I think this is very cool news. And why not? I mean, even if it's only a sequence, you know, uh, I I still think how cool is that? Uh, This is going to be a lot of fun. I, I think this is very, very cool. And I can't wait to see what they do. And, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, James Cameron was, I mean, an obvious kind of thing. But with him doing Avatars 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 73, that apparently start to debut in 2045, because at this point, I just know things are going to come out. Uh, That was an obvious choice. But honestly... If it wasn't going to be Macquarie, like I, we were talking, off, I think it might have been off camera, but I mentioned, you know, I could, he's probably going to go to a Christopher Macquarie. He's probably going to go to a Doug Lyman. He's probably going to go to one of these guys that he's worked with before. So I think this is actually a pretty good choice. Guy, question is, guys, what do you think about the choice of Doug Lyman and overall your feelings on this Tom Cruise movie that's going to be shooting in outer space? As wacky as it sounds, it's coming. So what on earth is Vin Diesel and the Fast Furious franchise going to do to top that? We'll have to wait and find that out as well. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move on to our fourth main topic today and our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted into us by ben atwell who writes when responding to a question on the recode media podcast regarding the snyder cut the chairman of warner media and the head of hbo max by the way bob greenblatt stated it is wildly expensive And I wish it was $30 million. (laughs) When discussing the cost to complete Snyder's uh, version, this leads me to believe that the cost will be more than 20 to 30 million, as stated in the Hollywood Reporter article. What are your thoughts on the statement? All right. Thanks a lot for sending this in, man. And listen. I'll remind you for you guys who watch the show regular the other day when Rob, you remember this. I brought up on the show and I didn't make it a main video. I didn't make a video out of it. I didn't put it in the headline because I honestly didn't know how seriously to take it. 
But I, I told you the other day, Rob, on this show that I got contacted by one of the guys who initially told me years ago that Bat, that Ben Affleck was out as Batman. And what they told me was that Snyder, when first asked, when the conversations had started and, and you know, they asked Snyder, how much is it going to cost? Would it cost to do this? Snyder said to them, 70 million is what it would cost to finish it. And then, of course, they went with 20 to 30. That's in the article. Well, that apparently isn't true. <laughs> because and it may be what I was told was closer to the truth. But anyway, here's the article that comes to us from the folks over at IndieWire who write the following. This is coming from uh, Greenblatt again, who is the chairman of Warner Media. He's the head honcho there and the head of HBO Max. And he said this. It isn't as easy as going into the vault and there's a Snyder cut sitting there to put out. Greenblatt said it does not exist. Zach is actually building it, and it's complex, including new visual effects shots. It's a radical rethinking of that movie, and it's complicated and wildly expensive. I'll just say I wish it was just $30 million and stop there. It's an enormous undertaking and very complex. Let's read that again. It isn't as easy as going into the vault and there's a Snyder Cut waiting to put out. It does not exist. Zach is actually building it and it's complex. It's including new visual effect shots. It's a radical rethinking of that movie and it's complicated and wildly expensive. I'll just say I wish it was just $30 million and I'll stop there. It's an enormous undertaking and very complex. So Rob, I mean, I, there's a couple things to unpack in that. I think it's fair to say there's a couple things to unpack in that. The first thing, again, is this re reaffirms the sense that regardless of what all these people said for so for for years and years and years, that nope, a completed Snyder Cut version is just sitting there waiting to be put out and Warner Brothers is holding it down. That didn't exist. Uh, it didn't exist. And Rob, as you said on this show, you thought it was going to be a lot. And I suspect it as well. But you said you came right out and you said it was going to be a lot more expensive than that. Because yeah. it was a very, very unfinished piece. And of course, again, this goes back. This is exactly what I've been saying the whole time is people were yelling and proclaiming and insisting that there was a finished Snyder Cut version. And I kept saying, no, there is an edit of the movie, but there is no completed version. Rob, just just for fun. Uh, one of our viewers actually sent this to me to remind me about this. I'm going to show a quick 40 second clip here. I'm keeping it really short. This was the very, very first time. I ever addressed the Snyder Cut thing. This is back in 2017. And this was the very, very first time I ever, ever addressed the Snyder Cut thing at all. And this is what I said at the time. This is what I said all the way through. Take a look uh, at what, uh, you know, let's jump back in time to August of 2017, John Campia. This is what I said about the Snyder Cut the very first time we talked about it. The other thing is this, and this is a big one. There seems to be this assumption in the petition that a completed finished Zack Snyder cut of Justice League exists it does not I'm gonna tell you right now um, it does not but if you think Justice League was then done six months ago I, I hate to break it to you but no it wasn't there was a cut but that you I mean that wasn't Zack Snyder's definitive vision look never say never it's possible I guess but the amount of money that Warner Brothers would have to put into it to create a Zack Snyder cut, um, I, I just don't think it's financially viable for them to do it. That sums up every position I've had 
right that from the very first time there's an edit but it is not a completed film and rob oh my god every time i would say on social media or on my show hey, hey guys you know there, there's an edit of the film but a completed version that that doesn't exist holy because i showed you a lot of it. the the it, the the floods of yes it is finished they just it's jack snyder finished it i'd say no it's, i mean there's a cut there's an edit but it's not a completed film and people would just insist i also insisted that you know there there was an edit there there was not a complete version doesn't it but the part that i consistently got wrong even six months ago when i started saying you know what i think they'll release it on hbo max even then, the part I got wrong, and I wanted to make sure I had included it in that clip, because I've been saying this consistently too, and this is the part I got wrong. I thought it was going to be way more expensive than people thought, which of course people then respite. It doesn't cost anything because it's finished. I constantly said, and I was wrong about this. I constantly said, listen, this thing's going to be so expensive. I just can't see Warner Brothers spending the money that it would cost to put it out. Now, granted, at the time I was talking about theatrically and Deborah Snyder said it never would have come out theatrically. But even when I said I thought it would come out on HBO Max, I didn't think they would put another dollar into it, Rob. And you always said they would. You said, I mean, we agreed on every other part, but I said, I think they'll put it on HBO Max, but I don't think they're going to spend another dollar on it. Too much money. They're not going to spend another dollar on it. That was my position. And I was wrong. And you said practically the whole time, you know what? I think they will spend the money on it. And here they are. They're spending the money on Rob hearing. It's funny because, you know, when you're the chairman, you don't have to follow anybody else's rules. You don't have right. to read. You don't have to read the internal memos that go out to the company. You don't have to. Everybody else is saying, OK, guys, tell everybody it's only costing 20 to 30 million dollars. You and I said that doesn't seem like if it is as incomplete as that Hollywood Reporter article made it sound in their interview with Zach and Deborah Snyder, because they made it sound like it was damn incomplete. You know, both went, can you do it for $30 million? And apparently, no. <laughs> and the chairman is saying, yeah, 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 that's nice. I wish it was only going to cost me $30 million. <laughs> but uh, again, that's a good thing, Rob, because I my concern when they said the 20 to $30 million number, my concern was, you know, is that enough to do it right? And I just I just thought if you're going to put the money into it, which I never thought they would, if you're going to put the money into it, you might as well put the amount of money into it that to make it right. And it sounds to me that the chairman is saying, OK, yeah, somebody beneath me thinks we need to tow a PR line about 20 to 30 million dollars. Yeah, I wish it was going to cost me 20 to 30 million dollars. Rob, you hear this comment and this quote from this chairman of Warner Media. Uh, what's your first reaction to it? And and how do you interpret it? How do you think this is going to apply to the overall situation? Well, it, you know, just like you said, it was it was everything that we'd said. And then another thing that I had been saying, which he also addressed, is that there are guild rules, SAG, IATSE, the DGA, the WGA, and he flat out talks about that, that we have a lot of wrangling to do with everyone, including the cast. They've made a movie. So this is essentially something brand new. Do they get paid again? And it's not a question of, well, people don't know. Here's the frustrating thing, John. When we were talking about this movie, and, and respectfully, all of the fans who worked hard to see this happen, who supported this campaign, a lot of them just really don't understand how movies are made. Now, I get it. People are like, I do. I understand. 
No, you really don't. John, you work in visual effects, so you understand how that works. And when we were talking about things, I, I wasn't saying, I wasn't, and I don't think you were ever trying to say to people, there isn't a Snyder Cut, but there is a process that how movies are made, and it's it's anybody that's ever worked in the, in the business in any capacity understands that. I mean, I'm an editor and a post-supervisor, so it's not like a cut didn't exist. There's always some kind of a cut when you're working in post, whether that cut's ready to be seen or not on a movie like this. If it's done, you would know it. And this was never close to ever being done. You could even have a locked picture cut because on visual effects, heavy movies, you sometimes do and you turn over the visual effects and you have to wait a year till they're done. But this wasn't even there yet. And so to hear all of the things that they need and the fact that they need money, I mean, I don't think it's a vindication for what we've been saying because that's, you know, we were just speculating about how things work. But it's nice to finally have real concrete information out there about what this thing actually is, how much it's going to cost, and what it's going to take to finish. Now, I'm fascinated by this. I'm, I'm really excited to see this one. But I really want to know from an industry watcher and somebody that's been involved and, and loves the entertainment business, I want to know how they're going to wrangle all of this. This is a really interesting story to me from a production standpoint. How did they go back to the guilds? How did they talk to the managers and the agents and the lawyers of all of the actors that were involved? How did they do all these visual effects? How did they go back in and recut all this stuff? I really want to know. I hope somebody does. I hope HBO does a Mandalorian-style documentary series about how this all comes together because from an industry standpoint and from a production standpoint, it's really fascinating to me that this is happening and how it's going to happen. And I think there's a lesson to be learned here and uh, many lessons actually, and I'd like to learn them. I, I think one of the interesting things here too, going back to you know what I was saying earlier about how the fact that I, I never thought Warner Brothers would put another dollar into it because I felt, and I still feel, that they could have taken this edit, this, whether you want to call it a first edit, a Jones edit, whether you want to call it an assembly cut, whatever you want to call it, this incompleted film. I thought they could have taken it as is and put it on HBO Max. And I thought it would have made a lot of people happy. I, I thought that alone would have made a lot of people happy. I got to say... And I never thought they would have done it, but I got to say, it really impresses me that Warner Brothers would not only chip in a few shekels to say, well, tidy it up a little bit, which is what 20 to 30 million would have been, would tidy it up a bit. This comment from Greenblatt really says to me that they're going to take care with it. They're going to yes. take care. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be great. And listen, he, Zack Snyder made Man of Steel, one of the greatest comic book movies of all time, and half the people still hated it. So I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that don't like this, and that's fine. But considering the fact that I think they just could have taken it as is and dropped it on HBO with green screen and wires and all that kind of stuff, and and like and you know the green the green balls on the stick that represents the CGI characters, I think they could have done that and it would have pleased a lot of people just that they would put it out. The fact that they have gone beyond what I think they needed to do, I think that says a lot about them that, that once they made the decision to put it out you know what if we're gonna do it 
screw it. I don't want to spend that much money. It sounds like the chairman is saying, I don't want to spend that much money, but if we're going to do it, F it, do it right. And I got to say, I'm impressed. I got to say I'm impressed because I never thought they would put a single dollar more into this process. And here they are going well above and beyond what they even needed to do. Well, you know, what I'm still I I can't believe is that from a business standpoint, they finished a Justice League movie. So in terms of all the contracts, in terms of money, the book was closed. The fact that it lost money, you know, all that, whatever you want to call it, the book was closed. So so any from an industry standpoint, a legal standpoint and a monetary standpoint, a Snyder cut, because even if they released it, like you said, and didn't put any more money into it, it's still an additional thing that's being put out as programming, which means somebody has to be remunerated for their participation. Zack Snyder certainly does. The actors would have to be. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of uh, uh, and and even if they just threw it up the way it was, it's a whole new thing because the from a business standpoint the book was shut, and you can't just throw this out there without renegotiating contracts or talking to people because as we know it ain't show friends it's show business, and people would just the the cast especially the representation would come out and go, you can't do that. You know, you've already made Justice League. It exists. This whole thing, what are you gonna you're gonna tread on my clients? You're gonna you're gonna put something else out that they've already been paid for? You can't do that. It violates union rules, it violates business rules. So from that and no one ever fans never talk about that aspect of this. They only talk about a cut exists and put out Zach's cut. Well, there's also legalities and there's also things that have nothing to do with Zack Snyder that have to do with the realities for a motion picture studio from a business standpoint to do this. And no one ever talks about that. And he, in this podcast, directly addressed it. And I am fascinated by what that's going to be and how what that's going to take and how many negotiations they've had to make. It's going to be I mean, it's a real feat to do this. This is not something that is being done lightly. They are the the studios putting everything they have behind it and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, which which again then gives makes makes the release date of it of 2021 make a lot more sense cuz a lot of people are like why why wait till 2021? Well, now it's kind of obvious. So again, to me, I think this is a very telling interview, a very telling comment. It's, it's not often you get the actual head chairman of the company to come right. out and make statements like that. And again, my my main takeaway from it, again, is I, I got to say I'm impressed. Um, I thought what they would have done and what they could have done was just thrown that group of fans a bone by just putting out the unreleased version, the unfinished version, I should say. I thought they could have just done that. I thought that's what they would have done. And instead, they're going the extra mile. And and I got to say, bravo to uh, to HBO Max, bravo to Warner Media, bravo to Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, I got to say, I'm really impressed. I'm really well, impressed. And I never thought they'd do that. I never did. You know, John, what's really too, what's really interesting to me is they had their, they they figured all these things out. Like, remember, they talked about Toby Emmerich back in November of 2019, first opening the door to doing this. So that was over six months ago. Yeah. So they have been dealing with the legalities and they've been going through. I mean, that's why he he addresses that in the podcast as well. They've already been doing all of this groundwork over the last six months. So this has been an ongoing process. And they didn't they only announced it when all of these things were surmounted. So. 
that's even more impressive from the studio side of it all and from the business side of it all that they've had to go back and look into getting all of this done because that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Guys, question is, what do you think about the growing but impressive expenses that it's going to do to cost and get this thing put to screen? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all of our main topics down and out of the way, we're now going to take a quick short break here, give ourselves a chance to rest the vocal cords, stretch our legs, refill our drinks. But in the meantime, guys, you guys can start sending in those questions if you haven't done so already. Of course, the way you send in live questions is to use the tip link that's in the top line of the description of this video. You can just click it there or just go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can go over there, send in your comment or question, and support the channel at the same time. So we've already got a huge list of people waiting to get their questions answers. We will get through all of them today. So if you guys will hang tight with us, don't go anywhere. Robert and I will be right back. All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as Robert and I took a short break there. And now let's move on and start taking your live questions, except I don't have the live questions because I'm completely unprofessional at this. Here we go. Finally, ready to go. The joys of doing these shows live, ladies and gentlemen, the show, joys of doing them live, not easy, like pre-recording them or anything like that. Okay, we're going to start things off here with Ryan Lohner, who writes, uh, one part of Gladiator that is not talked about nearly enough is how they had to deal with Oliver Reed's death. It's totally seamless, and I never would have known it was an issue. Rob, it's true. You go back now and you watch Gladiator again, and you never would have known that this key character in the movie and the actor died during production of it. No. It, it, it was done absolutely freaking seamlessly. Yes, like, it I was. Think even better than they did it in The Crow. Uh, it, it was just phenomenal. Rob, talk a little bit about, you know, read it in Gladiator. Well, you know, he first of all, he's so good in the movie. And you know, again, he was part of those that group of actors. They were they were hard drinking, hard partying dudes. And you had two of them in that movie. You had Richard Harris and you had Oliver Reed. You know, Peter O'Toole, those guys, man, they knew how to party. Uh, and and I believe Oliver Reed like died in a bar. He had a heart attack in a bar. Uh, uh, so he was having a good time. But yeah, they had to go. They had to digitally recreate him for certain scenes, you know, and, and you, it's, it's really seamless. And not only was it seamless, but it, it, his performance was so indelible in that movie that his performance could have been affected if it wasn't done very well, but they did it really, really well. And, um, it's, it's a joy to behold and it really honors his great film legacy. I mean, he's one of the great British actors of, of his time. I agree. I love that movie, dude. I love Gladiator. Oh, I do too, man. I do too. All right, next up, we've got Jay Bling who writes, I was wondering if you could clarify. Oh, by the way, he sends in $50 tip. Thank you so much for that, Jay. And if there's a question in here, I will address it in its own standalone video as well. You got to give it a couple of weeks for us to get caught up on that. But keep an eye open in a few weeks and we will get around to this in its own standalone video as well. I was wondering if you could clarify something. You've stated that during your AMC days, you learned that studios actually retain two thirds of the box office revenue and not 50%. Is there truth to the notion that the studios retain less from international box office than domestic? Okay, so what Jay Bling's referring to here is when I was at AMC and when I worked there, um, I would I would often travel out to Kansas and go to the head you know campus, the AMC campus out there in Leewood, Kansas. Beautiful place, by the way. Beautiful corporate campus. 
and I would talk to, you know, the, the, the people in charge of certain things. And what got communicated to me was once you figure in that the opening weekend of movies, like a lot of times the movie, the studios take, keep 90%. 85% of like opening weekend box office. And as the longer that a movie's in theaters, the more and more the percentage goes back towards the theaters. But at the end of the day, what they communicated to me was at the end of the day, the movie theaters get to keep like one third. It is what it balances out to. Once you take in consideration how much of that opening weekend box office went elsewhere and then how much the this theaters get as you move further into the release of the movie, it ends up being about one-third. So I've seen other uh, other uh, outlets write, oh, the theaters keep 50%. And like, well, that's not true, um, at least from what I was told when I was at AMC. How that s revenue split differs internationally, I have no idea. Because again, I, I was dealing with a North American office. Yes, there are international offices uh, or outlets for AMC as well, but they are primarily an American company, especially when I was there. And so I actually have no idea. I have also heard that in some international markets, the percentage sways more evenly between studios and the theaters, some even more in the theaters thing. But I of that, I actually don't know. I don't have any actual firsthand knowledge of that part of it. Uh, Rob, do you know any, anything more about like the, how that division is different between international markets and here domestically? Well, I've heard, especially like in the Chinese market, it's certainly uh, not an equitable split that we get the American the studios get less money than even domestically. But, you know, that is sort of to be expected in foreign markets and things like that. So and I know it's different. You know, movies are sold. A lot of people don't understand that movies, if you sell them to a distributor, maybe there's a distributor that that has like multiple territories like the UK and France and Germany or Italy and Spain. But a lot of the time, Movies are sold on a country by country basis and there's deals made for those countries. They're, they're not all the same. So there's fluctuating, uh, there's, there's fluctuating amounts of money for, for movies, depending on the deals, you know, and sometimes, uh, studios will bundle their movies. I mean, there's all different ways to do it. So it's not an easy formula and it's not one size fits all. All right, uh, let's move on here. Next one comes to us from where are we at here? Canada rocks who writes. So John, how many apologies have you received from the, it does exist crowd <laughs> over or under one? Oh, and it looks like Robert Meyer Burnett might be right about that 60 to $70 million price tag. Indeed he was. This is why I listened to you both. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny to see how people change narrative because you know, when, whenever over the years, the last three years, since that 2017 first video came out, how many people insisted whenever I mentioned, guys, yeah, there's an edit, but a, a finished version, that doesn't exist. It does not exist. Um, how many people screamed and yelled at me and sent all these nasty messages to me and blah, blah, blah. Yes, it does. You don't know, Zack Snyder. You don't know anything. And they'd write me in the, and insist that there was just a nice, tidy, fully complete Zack Snyder movie just ready to be released. Zack Snyder said it was done. No, Zack Snyder said all the creative decisions had been made. He did not say it was done. He never said it was done. But they kept insisting to me it was done and all that kind of stuff. And now they're all changing their tune. Now they're all saying, oh, oh, no, no, no. We always knew it wasn't actually finished. Uh, no, 
that's not what you swore at me. That's not what you lambasted me with. That's not what you attacked. You no 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 no. You don't don't go changing your song now. That oh no no no. We we always knew it wasn't finished. Then what the hell was with all the yes it is finished, Campia? And right from day one, I, and I played that video. I said yes, there is an edit. There are apples in the bag. There are watermelons in the bag. I promised I wouldn't use that analogy again, but there it is. You know, I, I said from day one, there is an edit, but there's not a completed film. And now, not only are people trying to pretend like they never said it was a completed film, now people are trying to pretend like I said that there was like no such thing exists. Like no edit exists. There's no assembly edit. There's nothing like and that clearly, as I just played from the very first time I talked about it, I said, yes, there is an edit, but there's not a completed version. So, no, Canada Rocks, the number of apologies I've received is definitely under... No, I take that back. I take that back, actually, Rob. There was actually one message I got at the John at the John Campus Show email that actually wrote in and say, hey, Campy, I'm one of the guys who gave you crap about this, and you were right. But, again, like I pointed out earlier, Rob, I also have to stand up and say... I also said they would never spend another dollar on it. Right. And I said that from day one. And that's why I made sure I included that in that little clip, me saying, it's going to be too expensive. They're not going to spend any more money on it. And on that part, I was dead wrong. Even Rob, even Rob, when you were telling me yourself, John, I think they're, <laughs> I actually think they're going to put, like you and I would say, yeah, they're going to put it on HBO, but they're not going to spend another dollar. And you said, yes, they will. You were right. You're well, right. I, I mean, you know, it's it's just, but again, it's a process. The only reason, like, I don't mean to, I don't mean to say like gotcha, like we knew better than you, but there is a movie making process that's already in place. It's been in place for a hundred years, and there's a lot of people. If you haven't worked in the actual industry, um, even if you've read your Cinefax or your American cinematographers you wouldn't necessarily know exactly how post-production on films work. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding amongst the fan community of how those things work. So, you know, based on the, the understanding people have, they make wrong assumptions, but you know, nobody, nobody meant, I, I think all, when all is said and done, everybody, everybody, uh, wins with this because we're getting a, a new cut of the film. Zach's going to have even way more time to refine it than he had than he would have had before it came out in the theaters. So I would assume that what we're going to get will be the very best version of what he shot. And that's pretty exciting. It's not just that we're getting a Snyder cut. It's that we're going to get a Snyder cut that's going to be really worked over. And in terms of a director giving us exactly what he wants us to have, that's why I'm really excited about it. Because from a creative standpoint, I expect it to be, well, as special as it could be uh, based on the circumstances. So it's pretty cool. There's only one downside to me about this whole thing happening. And that one downside is this. Yeah, you know what I think about 300 and uh, the Owls of Ga'ul and what I th particularly what I think about Man of Steel and stuff like that. The only downside I see to this personally, and this is just selfishly as a fan. I'm very, and I know you are too, Rob. I'm very interested in this new zombie flick, this right. Vegas zombie flick that he's doing. Yeah, Army and of the because, Dead. Yeah, uh, I it's it's the first film he's doing since he had to step away from filmmaking because of the tragedy yep. in his family. The only downside to me is 
because he's now, once this new zombie flick is completely finished, because he's got to finish that off first, the next year for him is going to be tied up in Snyder Cut release. And the only downside to me is that I really want to see him continuing to make new movies. And he will yes. once this once we get on the other side of 2021. But I'm very... I'm very, very interested in seeing the zombie flick of his, and I want to see him continue to make new movies. But So that's the only slight downside to me, but it'll come. It'll come. All right, let's move, uh, let's move on here. Next one up. Uh, Wakandan Forever writes, the fitness and wrestling communities have been having a hard time. Yeah, the, actually, it's funny because my uh, friend Kaori, uh, who has been on this show and stuff like that, she is a professional fitness instructor. And yeah, it, the fitness community, it's, this has been particularly hard on them. I mean, it's been hard on everybody, make no mistake, but it's, it's also really shut them down because you're not going to go into a gym where people are sweating all over the equipment and, and breathing heavy and stuff like that. So you're right. It's been particularly hard on them as a fan of pro wrestling and bodybuilding. It's tragic to see what's been going on lately. Everyone, please remember when you're posting things has a real effect on people. Thanks. And it's true. And it's good that we remember that, you know, on this show, Rob, we talk about the little d cube we live in of the movie fan community. That's what we talk about on this show is, is how yeah. things affect the movie fan community. But we should remain cognizant of the fact that, you know, there are a lot of people being affected a lot more. I'll sit here and boo-hoo, where's my Fast and Furious 9? I'll sit here and cry about that. But I understand there are much more important things in the way this, and I think that's a good thing for everybody to keep in mind, Wakanda forever. Uh, Caleb writes, Hey, John, uh, The Rock's tweets uh, have made me curious on the topic. Over under 35%, we get some version of Black Adam versus Superman with The Rock as Black Adam. Also, over under 40%, if the fight happens, that Superman decisively loses as The Rock is claimed over Twitter. Thanks. No. He won't. Superman won't lose to Black Adam. And I'll tell you why. Because unlike some other movie action stars who insist that every fight they have, they have to win. You think about that conversation, Rob, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, about the audience just start seeing you get your ass kicked every week. That's what they expect to see from now on, right? Dwayne The Rock Johnson has never been one of those guys. He's always been willing in his movies. I mean, the hero has to win, and ultimately the hero does, but he's never been one of those guys that says, oh, I, my character can't get his ass kicked in a scene. He's like Tom Cruise that way. Tom Cruise has no problem. Like in the last Mission Impossible film, that bathroom scene fight where Henry Cavill and Tom Cruise are fighting uh, the one Asian dude. The Asian dude kicks their asses. <laughs> he kicks their asses. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you just watch it Hobbs and Shaw, right? Idris Elba's kicking their asses. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is not one of those guys that insists that I never get touched. As much as I love the old Steven Seagal action films, even as a teenager, I'd be like, this is starting to get really predictable where Steven Seagal, Seagal's character is always 100% invincible. Like, he, no one ever even lands a shot on him. And that got to be a problem. There are some other action stars that you can see us with. Dwayne Johnson comes from the world of professional wrestling, right? He comes and he knows that for the good of the business, The Rock sometimes has to lose because that's for the good of the business. That's his mentality. And I think he'll do all the smack talking. He'll talk about Black Adam. I'm going to kick Superman's candy ass, you know? You know, he's going to talk. He's going to do all that. But I think he's one of these movie stars that's like, 
My character gets to fight Superman and I lose to Superman? No problem. I honestly think that's the type of... I think, I think the world of professional wrestling gave Dwayne Johnson that kind of selfless attitude about being a movie star. Let somebody else shine? No problem. Like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's the biggest movie star in the world. Go into Fast and the Furious where some other characters are the leads? He doesn't have that attitude? No problem. Do Hobbs and Shaw where I'm co-headlining with another star of Jason Statham? For The Rock, no problem. That's one of the things I've always liked about him. So no, I do not think that Superman will lose to Black Adam if it ever happens. I don't know, Rob. I've, I've droned on about this. What do you think would happen there? How, how do you think that's going to work out? Well, I, I look, I think there'll be the one, the one thing that Superman, you know, magic is one of Superman's weaknesses. And Black Adam's powers are derived from, well, there's some magic involved. So there is ways where Black Adam can uh, overcome Superman, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Superman must emerge triumphant. You know, leave, yeah. leave Black Adam's lip bloodied or whatever. But as they said in Stand By Me, it'll be a good fight, though. It'll be know? a good fight, though. And, you know, it should be pointed out that the, the magic weakness never introduced in the movies. That's never been a, a, an issue right. for the movie. So I, so who knows? We'll have to see. It'll be great, and The Rock will sell it, though, either way. The Rock will sell it. All right, next up, Superman Steve writes, Oh, my goodness, John, that thumbnail for today's show is absolutely brilliant. Tell Ray, sorry if I spelt that wrong. He is incredible. Ray does a great job day in, day out, making great thumbs and, and great images and graphics that I get to pull up and use in the show. Uh, he always does such a good job, and it's really awesome, Steve, that you would give him a shout-out like that. So thank you for that, sir. All right, Wakanda Forever writes, some recommendations for people interested in wrestling. WrestleTalk, OSW, Review Old School Wrestling, and JD Forn, NY206, some of my go-to shows. John, uh, do you have a favorite wrestling costume slash look? My two favorites are The Undertaker and The Crow Sting. Yeah, back. Listen, there is a documentary series on right now called The Last Ride. You guys have heard me talking about that's all about the final years of the career of The Undertaker. It's remarkable. It's really, really good. And I'm not even all that into wrestling anymore. Um, I, I, I guess I, I got to go with the Road Warriors, the the old classic, you know, Animal and Hawk, the Road Warriors. I, I think I got to go with those guys. Those ones would be my all time favorite ones. Wakanda Forever also writes uh, a wrestling classic, No Holds Barred, 1989. That movie sucks, by the way. <laughs> it's so over the top and cheesy, but I loved it as a kid. Uh, even watching it now, it holds a special place in my heart for anybody who grew up watching WWE. It's one of those movies that you have to see at least once. I'll I'll agree with that because you had Zeus, you had Hulk Hogan who. Is the worst actor in the world. Uh, but then you also you had the Zeus character, and they really, really tried. Now, I remember as a kid getting a kicked out of it because I was into wrestling, but it's an awful movie. But as a kid into wrestling, I got to admit, I, I used to get a kick out of it. All right, Dim Sum 05 writes, I'd rather see Warner Brothers use the Snyder Cut money and finance a new Snyder joint, a new Snyder joint? Yeah, I think you probably mean project or something. Uh, DC or not, this guy has a flair for style and his movies are at least interesting looking. Uh, this is just a waste of money. He should flex the right muscle and direct new stuff. Well, I mean, <sighs> Rob and, and, and Dim Sum, like, I was also just saying that, uh, you know, the one little downside is I wish I was seeing new Zack Snyder stuff. I I don't think this is... Whether it'll be a waste of money or not, we'll we'll have to wait and see. It's a it's a good gamble. It's a good yeah. gamble. They are really trying to draw attention to HBO Max. And 
this was a good you listen they had no use deborah snyder herself said there was no way this was ever going to get a theatrical release nobody was going to put this on theaters warner brothers wasn't going to put it on theaters but warner hbo max gave a snyder cut a purpose now to warner brothers there was a purpose for a snyder cut whereas before to them there wasn't at least in the eyes of Warner Brothers. There was no purpose to it. There was no point to it. Ah, but now we've got HBO Max. Now there's purpose. And listen, we don't know how it ultimately will end up. Like, will it be a, a, a big win for them? Will it be a big loss? I don't know. But is it worth the gamble? And that's the tough question. And, and I think it's worth gambling. Listen, we don't know right now, Rob, how much money they're going to spend on it. Like the, the higher the number goes, maybe the more risky of a gamble it becomes. But I think at least in principle, it's worth a gamble because it has purpose. How would you answer that? Well, yeah. First of all, you know, the, the word joint, when you use joint, it, Spike Lee calls his movies joints. Like it's a Spike Lee joint. I've never heard him refer to it. That, that's yeah, good to know. So that, I think that's where he, they came up with that term. But look, it, it could be a gamble. But remember... I mean, think about it, what they're doing, whether you want to call it a movie or you want to call it or a, a, a series. Well, think about like what they spent on The Irishman, what Netflix spent on The Irishman. This is half of that. And what they're getting is something that's brand new, unique programming to HBO Max. The only place you can see it is on HBO Max and the people that are going to want to see it. I mean, this is something superhero movies are obviously a huge draw. They have been for a decade. They're not going anywhere. And I think for HBO Max, this is only a win-win thing. And it's it's giving them a really big piece of prestige programming that they already know what they're getting. And, and I think that it, as a gamble, I think it's a pretty solid bet. And I think it works for everybody all the way around. You you get you get to curry favor with the fans. You get to promote it. Um, look what HBO Max did that nobody else could have done. And it's it's I think it's great for everybody, really. So I don't think it's a gamble. I, I don't I think it's good. What's all right. Uh, next up here, Murray Reich writes, thoughts on the NHL returning, hopefully with 24 teams in the playoffs and playing in at least two hub cities. I just want sports back badly. Love it. Now, listen, I don't like this format under regular circumstances, but under these extreme circumstances, anything to get a sports back. Listen, uh, you oh, it's you have no idea how great it was last couple of weeks ago to sit down and put on some live UFC events. Oh, my God, it made me so happy <laughs> to sit there and be able to watch some real live sports again. I I'm perfectly fine. I don't care that there's not going to be audiences in the crowd. Is that a is this going to miss it? Sure, a little bit. But I found when I was watching the UFC stuff, after about 30 seconds, I didn't even notice there wasn't a crowd. I didn't even notice. And so I, I am super stoked for it. I, I just want it back. If they can do it right and properly like the UFC has done, I'm all for it, Murray. I am all for it. Uh, anonymous writes, just another way for my Toronto Maple Leafs to lose. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, last action hero, Slater's world represents Donner's Superman, Burton's Batman, and Juan's Aquaman. Uh, Slater in our world would represent Snyder's Man of Steel, Nolan's Batman, and Russo Brothers' Winter Soldier. Do you agree? Which side would you lean to the most? I don't know about... I... I ah... I, I don't know. That's an interesting... I've never heard anybody put it quite like that. So I'm not sure. I guess I would lean... 
I guess I would lean towards like anything with Man of Steel. I guess I would lean towards that way. Rob, if you had to, you know, which which do you agree with the statement in general? Which side would you lean towards? Oh, you know, look, as we've talked about Man of Steel, uh, we both love Man of Steel. And I I just I keep going back to that film. I, I I've always been baffled by the people that don't like it. You know, I mean, haven't you? Oh, dude, listen, I, I am. I say all the time, look, I there's a lot of movies I love that other people don't that I can go. OK, yeah, I can see why you didn't like that. Yeah, I can see like even just take Batman versus Superman. I like Batman versus Superman. I can see why people didn't like it. it that's cool. That's fine. Man of Steel is one of those ones to me where I accept because because all film is subjective. I accept that there are a lot of people who don't like Man of Steel. I accept that and I respect that, but I don't get it. Like that's that's one of the movies to me that's like I just okay I accept and I respect that you don't like it, but I'm not going to pretend like I get it <laughs> because I find and again I've got my editorial video coming out later on Man of Steel. I just don't get it because I think it is just brilliant on every level, and but you gotta be careful with me on that, Rob, because you get me going on Man of Steel and I'll end up talking right. for 45 minutes about it. Uh, Wait, okay. Well, I- what if I did I lost the plot there? What what what, what was the actual question I, that I'm I to I can't answer? even remember now because now I got Man of Steel on the brain. Yeah, so I can't even remember. All right, Jesse uh, Jesse Keller writes. Uh, hey guys, with HBO Max now out, my most anticipated thing on the service is the new Looney Tunes cartoon. I, I can't believe I haven't mentioned this. I love the old shorts and was wondering if you had watched them growing up, uh, if you watched them growing up too. If so, who's your favorite character and will you be checking out the new series? Rob, I don't know if you saw this. But they actually released uh, online early their first like a, a twelve minute episode of their new Looney Tunes. No, but I, I'm all for that. I'm it's, all in on Looney it's Tunes. It's great because I thought, okay, they're gonna do new Looney Tunes, new Roadrunner and Tweety with Sylvester and Daffy, and but you know. Back then, they'd have, like, Sylvester trying to kill Tweety Bird, and yeah. they'd have a lot of violence, and they won't do that. I wonder how it's going to be different. Rob, they just put one out, and it feels just like the old Looney Tunes. <laughs> they, they, it's it's one where Granny, and it's perfect, classic Looney Tunes setup. Sylvester and Tweety are in the house, and Granny is, is baking, and Granny has to leave the house, and now Sylvester goes on his mission to murder Tweety. And, <laughs> and the violence that happens, and it's it feels obviously it looks a lot cleaner but it feels like if you had played it for me and it had the proper grain on it and said oh this is just an episode from the old looney tunes you never would have you've never seen i totally would have believed it because it felt like looney tunes and i didn't think they'd do that so uh anyway rob you uh, you excited for this new thing that they're Dude, doing on HBO? I, I, yeah i love looney tunes I, I i that was my of all the cartoons when i was a kid i love the sensibility of the looney tunes so bring it on you know and, and now there's so much great animation being done there's so many people that have moved into the animation field that i can only imagine that they've probably got the biggest looney tunes fans in the world working on these things so i mean oh. i can't wait as far as favorite character, Bugs. I, I mean, just Bugs was always the funniest character to me in, in Looney Tunes. You got a favorite character in Looney Tunes? You know, uh, yeah, I, I think Bugs. I mean, ain't I a stinker? Come on. I mean, who doesn't love Bugs Bunny? I also you liked MLJ Fudd. Yeah. I, yeah. I also did. Every once in a while, I, just, I wanted him to murder the rabbit just because I wanted to see him get a win. All right. Uh, like- next. What's oh, that? No, go ahead. 
Uh, Foghorn uh, Leghorn, too. Oh, yeah. Foghorn Leghorn was great, too. I'll say, I love it. I'll say. I'll say, son. All right. Django19 writes, I started watching the show What We Do in the Shadows Nice, and it is hilarious. I also saw the movie recently and enjoyed it, but I got to say I'm liking the show more. I want to get into Doom Patrol and Umbrella, Umbrella Academy also. Which one would you recommend to watch first? Ooh. Okay. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. I would say Umbrella Academy first, because if I'm not mistaken, season two is coming out before season. When does HBO Max launch Doom Patrol season two? I know it's soon. I think I, like next month in June sometime. You know what? Then I stand June corrected. July? Yeah, because I, I think I think Umbrella Academy season two comes out in July. So if Doom Patrol. OK, so I'm going to change it around. Doom Patrol first, just because that one apparently has season two coming out first. So get on that one first. But I'm just telling you, they're both great. They're both great. And so I, I think you're going to enjoy them both. And, and the good news for you is you can binge the first seasons and be ready for when season, as soon as you're done binging them, boom, you're going to have season two there. So you're in a really, really good position there, Django. You're in a really good position. All right. All right, um, uh, Amir writes, one of two. I rewatched The Godfather 1 and 2 this past weekend. That's a good use of time, my friend. And what makes me love those movies is that after three hours of watching The Godfather 1, I thought to myself I would happily sit and watch another hour of this or more. And the same is true for Godfather 2. There's not many films that just make me want more. Not even some of the most entertaining movies of recent times like Avengers Endgame or The Dark Knight make me want more once they're finished. A lot even to feel too long. But The Godfather, fantastic. And and you're right. The Godfather, Rob, I mean, obviously because we are talking about two of the greatest films of all time in Godfather 1 and Godfather 2. They are simply two of the, the, two of the most best examples of perfection in filmmaking. And it's the story, the way The Godfather is laid out. It's just this ongoing narrative and story, and and Coppola finds a way to drag you into everything. They drag me back in. They drag you into getting immersed in those stories, and it just feels like the movie didn't end. They just decided to end the movie. You know what right. I mean? Like when Godfather, when you get to the conclusion of the Godfather with, with Michael settling all family business and Diane Keaton looking through the doors as they close and seizing, seeing everybody kissing Michael's ring and the door closes, that didn't feel like the end of the movie. It just felt like they decided to end the movie. And you could have watched another two or three hours of it, but that's part of their brilliance. Rob, what is it about the Godfather films that give them that 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 characteristic? Well, I think, first of all, it is the story, but it's also the way, like, you know, the, 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 the Godfather one opens with the big party. It's Connie's wedding. And within this swirling maelstrom of this giant party, you learn all you need to know about this realm. I mean, Coppola always said that The Godfather is a movie about a king and his three sons, even though it's set in the world of the mafia. But you're still dealing with you're dealing with tradition and you're being introduced to all these characters and you're learning about the world. How does this world work? Like you find out. No Don can refuse a, a, a request on the day of his daughter's wedding. So people come in, you know, it opens with, I believe in America, the, the, the Undertaker, and uh, uh, whose daughter has been 
ravaged by two guys, you know, and, and yet he gives this whole speech about what America means. And it, 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 it is so profound from the very beginning, but it's also interesting. And it's it's you're trying to figure out everything as a viewer, like, ooh, what's what's going on? I mean, it just it does what all great movies do. It drops you into the middle of this situation. And it's so interesting and it's so well done. And there's so much, as I'd like to say, verisimilitude in this whole scene. And there's so much to take in. It's one of the most engaging openings of any movie. And and it, you're learning so many things on so many different levels all at once. And it just makes it – it's delicious from an intellectual standpoint. And for somebody who loves storytelling, it's just a delicious story. And it just yeah. moves forward and it keeps doing it. I mean it makes you engaged every step of the way and it's – and it's just it's it's never you're never ahead of the story. You know, it, it it introduces you to these characters and like it's almost like you're standing next to them the whole time. Like, what's going to happen? Like, you know, when Michael's outside of the hospital waiting for dudes to show up and like finish the job against his father, you know, you're there and you're he. He finds this guy who's there scared and you're like, even though you're watching the movie, you're the third person waiting outside the hospital. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, we could talk about Godfather all day. All right. Russell Amador writes, hey, John, I finally got around to seeing Bad Education. Great movie. Uh, and it is easily right up there as one of my top movies, if not the top movie of 2020. I heard uh, Jackman gives a stellar performance, but didn't know to that degree. Check it out if y'all if you haven't. Well, I actually did a review of the movie that's up on my channel. Bad Education was fantastic. It was really great. Uh, Allison Janney, uh, of course, Hugh Jackman leads the film. The, the teenagers cast in it are great. The supporting cast is wonderful. It's based on a true story and how they're able to make incredible, great narrative out of this based on a true story event was fantastic. It's an HBO film for those who don't know. So if you have HBO uh, you, or if you have HBO Max now, you can go watch it on HBO Max. Uh, it's there. Take Russell Amador's advice here and, and do give Bad Education. It's a really, really solid performance by Hugh Jackman, and it's a really, really solid movie. All right, Amir writes, uh, with both the Snyder Cut and Matt, and Matt Reeves' Batman coming out uh, a few months apart, do you think there's any chance uh, of bat fatigue? Personally, I don't think so, but it's possible. I would have said bat fatigue is more likely had they both been theatrical releases. I don't think so. Listen, I, I don't – I think this uh, whole idea of anything fatigue – particularly in movies, is a little bit overblown, Rob, because, you know, listen, uh, people watch Flash. They get 20 episodes per year, 20 times in a year, this year notwithstanding, uh, 20 times a year, they get to sit down and, and put on an hour's worth of Flash every year. When Breaking Bad was on, you get X number of times every year you could sit down and go watch Walter White do his thing. It, 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 so, no, I, I think, oh, my gosh, two movies in the same year with Batman in it? No, I don't think so. And by the way, we don't know that they're only going to release a couple of months apart. We don't know when they're going to release uh, Snyder Cut Justice League. All we know is it's coming in 2021. That's all we know right now. And you know what? There is even a possibility that might get bumped to 2022. I'm not anticipating that. I'm just saying it's possible. So I no, I don't think there's going to be bat fatigue. I, I, I don't see that happening. I, I think it'll be perfectly fine. What will be the determining factor, though, is whether people like it or not. Like if people watch, let's say Matt Reeves' Batman comes out first and let's say it's terrible. 
I'm I'm anticipating it being great, but for argument's sake, let's say it's terrible. Okay, and then they watch Snyder Cut, and like other Zack Snyder DC movies, half the audience hates it. Well, then, yeah, it'll feel like bat fatigue, but what it'll really be is fatigue of a character that they haven't liked so far. But generally speaking, I don't think there's danger of bat fatigue. I, I think they'll both work out fine. I don't think they're robbed. Do you think there's a danger of Batman fatigue going into 2021? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, here's the thing. If, if you get great Batman stories, what are people going to be like? Oh, uh, you know, I mean, I saw that Batman movie and it was really good, but I'm Batman out. I'm not gonna. I mean, that that idea is so silly. You could. It's just like Star Wars, dude. You could release a Star Wars movie every three months, and people would go. Just like people yeah. watch, like you said, episodically, they'll watch The Mandalorian every week while it's on. It, it's just if it's good. Look, yeah. the stuff has to be good. The caveat is it has to be good. You got to make it good. People aren't just going to show up for any Batman movie. It has to be good, like every other movie. Otherwise, you're going to be like, well, that sucked. Yeah, and, and that's why, listen, we've had people claiming for 10 years now, comic book fatigue is going to set in this year, comic book fatigue, comic book fatigue. And it's not that there hasn't been maybe an argument made for an overabundance of comic book movie material. But the fact is, most of it people have enjoyed. And as long right. as people keep enjoying it, they're not going to get tired of it. Well, you know, it's... People forget that the MCU, for the most part, the level of quality is is very high, and it's all about those characters. Most of those movies are wildly entertaining. Like every time I put on Infinity War, I, I get sucked in. Like like just that whole opening, not just on the on the 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 uh, uh, the Asgardian ship, but when you get to Earth. You know, and you have Tony Stark and Pepper, and then, then then Doctor Strange shows up and summons them, and they go to the Sanctum Sanctorum, and Tony Stark's meeting Doctor Strange, and they're talking, and 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 the Hulk, Bruce Banner's trying to convince him. I mean, it's so you're sucked in. You're like, I I've seen this a hundred times already, but I love these characters, and and it's just that's why people watch this stuff. It's because we want to hang out with these people. They're our friends. All right, next up, James Hoffman writes, with the Snyder Cut, uh, let me see if I can just adjust this a little bit here. Uh, with the Snyder Cut requiring so much work, rumored to have new scenes even, and being split into several episodes, it feels more like a miniseries adapted from the Justice League movie rather than another version of the same movie. No, I, I mean, I get that. I get that. But listen, Zack Snyder, what he did say a long time ago, was that he had all of his creative decisions, and that was his key phrase. He's had all of his creative decisions laid out. He had he even put out a picture that he had these reels of what his edit would look like, right? So that's there, and that's what it's going to be. Now, there is still an ass load of work to be done. It's going to be incredibly long. They may break it up into all that kind of stuff, but I, I don't think it's, you know, it is something that has been in Zack Snyder's mind, ever since he was shooting the movie in the first place. And I think that is what we what we are going to get on HBO Max is what Zack Snyder had always had in his mind as his movie. Um, before Kevin Sujihara decided he didn't like what Zack Snyder was doing, but it's going to be what it is he had always envisioned. And uh, it feels like a lot, and it is a lot, because it was so incomplete. 
but it is going to be that vision. I think. I don't know, Rob. What, what's your uh, impression of that? Well, I, yeah, I think it's going to look. I think what we're going to be getting is is something really special. However long it's going to be, it's going to be something that the director. I mean, what I love about it is Zack Snyder is going to be able to realize his vision. Look, it might not be the two Justice League movies they start out to make, but it was the movie that he agreed to make with the studio, and it's going to be the movie that he sits down and look. He's been thinking about this for a long time now, so he knows what he wants to do, and I think what we're going to get is going to be pretty cool, if nothing else. And it's going to be his vision, and, and that alone makes me interested because I like Man of Steel. I enjoyed Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, the ultimate cut. And whether it's perfect or not, I certainly enjoyed it. And I'll tell you one thing, I would love to get a third movie or a third miniseries, whatever it's going to be, to go along with those those other two movies and be able to sit down. Maybe that's why they're not they're not putting it on HBO Max right away because – they're going to hold – I don't know if Batman v Superman's on HBO Max, but maybe they're holding off and they're going to make this all an event. You know, they release these other two things all at once and it's the trilogy. Come see this trilogy and make it a whole big deal. I don't know. I think, I think I'd buy into that if it wasn't for the fact that the Dark Knight trilogy also isn't there. Right. Um, I, I, so I think it's just I think it's just a licensing thing. But I, I mean they could take advantage or, or of that. Or they could be waiting until, you know, Pattinson's Batman. They don't – they they want to they want to reestablish you know the fact that it's Pattinson's Batman is coming that could be part of it. I mean there could be a lot of it, but I, I mean as an HBO Max subscriber, I want them right. to put Man of Steel on as soon as possible. But that that's just me. All right, uh, next up, uh, Arib Hussein writes. I would like to apologize to you and Rob because sometimes when I'm excited about certain things, I don't really listen to logic. I, hey, that's all of us, brother. That is all of us. Um, I watched observations yesterday. Now that I now that I am calm, I can appreciate the logic about how the movie industry works more. Uh, you just shared your own experience working in the industry. I wanted the Snyder Cut so bad that it did piss me off every time you use the word watermelons analogy. So I do admit I was a bit immature. Uh, dude, again, that is all of us. Where all movie fans are. Uh, th those of us on this show, no exception. Uh, by the way, get better an get a better analogy next time, John. Cheers. Screw you guys. I thought it was a great analogy. I thought it worked perfectly. But I even had Aaron on my show the other day say, wow, that's a bad analogy. But it is what it is. Hey, listen, Reeb, uh, kudos to you. Thanks for writing that, man. You didn't have to write that in, but it's it's really appreciated that you would. Um, so I really appreciate that very, very much, man. Thank you for that. And I will try to make better analogies moving forward. All right. Uh, Mr. Graham 91 writes HBO Max isn't available on two of the biggest streaming platforms in the world Roku and Amazon Fire TV clearly it's going to have some impact on how many viewers they get I don't quite understand the reasoning here behind it hold the phone time out what the hell did you just say I'm a Roku guy are you telling HBO Max is not available on Roku Rob, have you heard this? Uh, no, I have not. I'm like, I, I have I'm, not. Wow. I I've got all my. I got all the other HBO stuff on Roku. I got. The, I, I had HBO Go on it. HBO Now on it. I like. They're not putting it. I gotta. I gotta think, Mr. Graham. You are either a mistaken. B. There's a technical issue that is slowing up its its appearance on Roku. Or C. It's gotta be coming soon. Because if that's true, that's some bullshit right there. <laughs> yeah. I'm a rogue. I, I listen. It's listen. There, are, there. Are, I've had Apple TVs. I've had Nvidia streaming devices. I've had a lot of other things. The Roku to me experience is just the best experience. 
Um, I've got buddies of mine that have like the Amazon stick, the Amazon fire thing, and they, they love it. And that's great too. And, but for me, I'm a Roku guy. So even when I buy new TVs now and I get a smart TV, is it smart TV with Roku built in? No. Okay. I'm not buying that TV. I get the TV that has the Roku built into it. I have the big Roku ultra downstairs attached to my main TV. I'm a Roku guy. Are you telling, how could they possibly launch HBO max and not be on like the biggest streaming platforms that that's concerning to me. So I have not heard that you might be mistaken, but if that's true, that's some world-class BS right there. Rob, I'm curious. What is your streaming device? What, what, what's your interface right we now? We use Amazon fire sticks. So, so you're also on the Amazon fire thing. Yeah. Which so, I love. I, I, for them to not, it's not on Roku or Amazon Fire TV. I gotta believe that's a mistake. Oh God, I hope that's a mistake. I'll, I'll go and look into that a little bit later, Mr. Graham. Thanks for bringing that up and giving me a panic attack. All right, Diamond Dogs Puppies writes, Hello, John and Rob. Today's underrated film is 1995's Waterworld. Maligned once it hit theaters, I appreciated the grandeur of the open seas adventure, and that was a rousing score. Hopper was an awesome baddie as per usual. Diamond Dog over and out. I'm gonna tell you what, I do not think Waterworld is one of the great films. I liked it. I I like it. By the way, they're getting rid of it at, at Universal Studios Hollywood here, but the Waterworld um, attraction at Universal Studios has always been one of the most fun things to do at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood as, as well. I liked Waterworld. I mean, it's not great. It's not an all-time thing, but I, I thought it took more heat than it deserved. Rob, what did you think about Waterworld? I look, I enjoyed as a matter of fact, Arrow, my beloved Arrow home video company, put out a really nice box set of Waterworld last year, including the long extended Ulysses cut of the movie. And I went back and I revisited the film. And it's always interesting when time passes and you get to go back and look. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I, I love all the details and the the drowned world aspect of it. And it's, it's fun. Sure. Is it like a lot of other post-apocalyptic action movies? Sure. But it's still really good. Kevin Costner's really good. The world is great. Dennis Hopper is great. It's really enjoyable. All right. Next one up here. We've got diamond. Oh no. uh, Yeah. Diamond dogs puppy writes. Hello everyone. Let's play a little game. Uh, Play keep for a rainy day or burn from consciousness forever. Uh Saving private Ryan platoon hacksaw Ridge. Go. I'm going to say something really unpopular. And it's not any anything disparaging about Saving Private Ryan or Platoon. Two great classics. I like Hacksaw Ridge more than either of those. I, I was... Hacksaw Ridge was a kind of movie to me that epitomized what great filmmaking is. It was, it was completely character-centric. It was... It, it, it unfolded the drama of the action that was happening around it, and it told one of the most remarkable stories, uh, uh, real-life stories from any war. And it was – but on a very, very narrow limit. It wasn't about D-Day, and it wasn't about the big – it was about this individual. Um, and I just liked it that much. So I would play Hacksaw Ridge, keep for a rainy day – Saving Private Ryan and Burn from Consciousness Platoon. But Platoon is one of the all-time great war movies. But if those are the options you're giving me, that's what I'll go. Rob, how would you address those? Well, you know, I think you make a really good point. Hacksaw Ridge is a very personal story, whereas both Saving Private Ryan and Platoon are about war itself, even though, yes, there are personal stories within them. But I could see – I could understand – 
why you would keep Hacksaw Ridge. I would have to keep Platoon because when I first saw Platoon, I saw it in the Cinerama Theater in, in, in um, Seattle. I was haunted by that movie. That movie was a horror movie. It was a personal story. It was a war film. I just thought it was really – it deserved everything that it got. To me, Saving Private Ryan after the Omaha Beach sequence pretty much settles down into a, a fairly standard war movie. So as much as I appreciated the technique – I could stand to lose Saving Private Ryan. I know people are going to be like, what? But I would keep Platoon and Hacksaw Ridge and get rid of Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, Even it's, it's, look, it, it's a great movie. Yeah, but, but that's the thing. They're all great movies, so we got to pick one to let go. I, I, there's no right or wrong answer. Chris Stevenson writes, more fun. Theories for Avengers Endgame or theories for before and after The Force Awakens came out. Uh, to me, that's actually an easy one. It's it's the theories of The Force Awakens. They were all ridiculous. Um, all the theories for Endgame and all the theories for The Force Awakens were ridiculous. But what made it for me, Rob, more fun for The Force Awakens was the fact that Endgame had limitations because it was the conclusion of a story that had already set up. There's really only so far you could go in, in how wild your theories could be or become. For The Force Awakens, there was literally no rules. It was a brand new Star Wars movie. First one uh, it takes place 30 years after the events of Return of the Jedi or however long the years are supposed to be. They really could have done anything. And a lot of the theories represented that as, as wildish and as outlandish and as ridiculous and as improbable, whatever it was. But there were literally the sky was the limit. With Endgame, because it was it had to follow what came before, there was a few more limitations on how wild the speculation could be. So I'm going to say the fun and sometimes frustrating, but the the more fun one and wild was the Force Awakens one. Which one do you think was more uh, was more fun? Well, I, you know, I, for me it was Endgame because I just was not a big fan of of the direction they took with the Disney sequel trilogy, even from the get go. I, I I was like, what are they going to do about the world building? And it's just it's almost like they they forgot what happened at the end of Return of the Jedi and they, they just didn't offer us anything like how did all of this happen with the First Order and all that. But So I liked Endgame more only because I, I was so – I loved Infinity War. Loved it and I had no clue what was going to happen and I stayed spoiler free pretty much. So reading all the speculation was fun for me. Excellent. All right. Uh, next up, in the, and we're almost over time here, so we're going to let Robert go here in just a second. But we'll get, first get to Santos Ramirez, who writes, Hey, John and friends, I am a disabled person, but I understand everything you are saying. I want to be screenwriting. I have a lot of people who do not think I can do it. So my question is, what are some movies I should watch or TV shows? Keep it up. If you're talking about getting a screener, first of all, never let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do, um, particularly if it comes to telling stories. Telling stories is not something you need to – you don't have to be able to run a 100-meter dash. You don't have to be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. This is, you, if you got a story to tell, you tell your damn story. And now, as far as like uh, movies you should do, I would more point you towards – there's a lot of really good online tutorials that talk about – the the fundamentals of story structure and how to tell stories and things like that. But – you know, to get started in just writing a story, you don't even need that. That might even be something you might want to go and look at later after you just start the process. Just tell some stories. Write some stories and and see where you go. And then later, 
go and start watching some of these things to figure out how to fine tune what you're doing. As far as just like some movies or TV shows that would really represent to you great characters and great storytelling, I would say the film that Rob, and I think you'd back me up on this, that Rob and I were talking about a little bit, go watch the Godfather movies to see how they deal with individual characters, developing characters, how story weaves through it and all that kind of stuff. TV shows, another one we were just talking about was Breaking Bad. That does a great job of a character's evolution and how narrative happens with the characters. And those are some good examples. But, you know, what I keep telling everybody, Santos, is, and this is true of anything you want to do, whether you want to be an architect or whether you want to be a screenwriter or whether you want to be anything, just start. That's the hardest part. Just start. So just start making some stories and then, then let the rest come later. Rob, what advice would you give? Well, I think that's good advice. I mean, it, you know, everybody talks about what they want to do. And I mean, we live in a world now with the tools and the technology that there's no reason why you can't do it. He said he was uh, disabled. I don't know what that means exactly. But if if you can't use your hands, for instance, you can use audio software that will you can you can dictate things. I mean, if you want to start writing a screenplay, start writing a screenplay. Now, there's there's tutorials. There's many books. Sid Field's story. Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. There's a lot of things you can start reading about. Uh, but but then go watch movies. Like you said, John. Whatever your favorite movies are, watch those and start asking yourself, why are they your favorite movies? And, you know, start emulating. And there's no reason why you can't do anything that you want. Now, are you ever going to get a $100 million Academy Award winning movie made? Well, that's a little bit tough. If those are your goals, I mean, that's good to set your goals high, but you also have to be realistic. But you know what? You're, I'll tell you one thing. You're never going to write a $100 million movie if you've never written one screenplay and if you haven't started. So you never know. Uh, all right. Rob, in the meantime, you've uh, you've got things you got to do. I know. Thanks for being here, man. We'll, of course, see you back uh, again this week. In the meantime, dude, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. And I, if I can say, go SpaceX and NASA right. today. If they get that launch off, because I know there are weather concerns. All right, dude, thanks a lot for being here, and we will, of course, talk to you again uh, on a, uh, later this week. Have a yes, good one, man. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move on and keep taking your questions. We're going to get through all of them before we run out of time today, so let's keep right on motoring here. The next one up comes to us from uh, Alfredo Parra, who writes, excited for the final episode of Apple TV's Defending Jacob. It gets released this Friday. If it wasn't for the week-to-week -week episode release of the show, I would have canceled Apple TV once I finished the show. And you know what? I keep hearing good things about that one. Now, I was never excited about the Apple TV Plus. The shows never looked good to me. But then I watched The Morning Show. It was great. Then I watched For All Mankind. It was great. And everybody's telling me this Defending Jacob one with Chris Evans is also top notch. So I think I'm going to have to get around to watching that one as well because I do have Apple TV. And uh, good. I'm looking forward to watching it. Thanks for your recommendation on that, Alfredo. All right. Uh, where are we at here? We are at uh, Taj. Uh, and Taj and Cars writes... John, over under 70% that within the next year, a streaming service will put out COVID heist. Think 1998 hard rain with the flood being replaced with a mostly empty city or town. The movie or series almost writes itself. Listen, I am not kidding. There already is a movie out about a heist that takes place during COVID-19. I can't remember the name of the studio, but it's, it's already done. They went into that thing so quick and made it so fast. 
And it's already out there. And it's already out there. So you know that you know that you know there are absolutely going to be more. There are 100% going to be more, man. No doubt about it. Um, Okay, next one up. Ben writes, Hey, John, excited about HBO Max, but saw that they don't have the extended versions of Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, or even Batman v Superman. Do you think those will come also? Do you think that they will ever stream uh, the appendices? I don't know. And listen, I'm actually okay. I mean, look. I would like them to also have the extended editions made available. But I'll be honest with you. When I sit down to watch Lord of the Rings again, I go to the theatrical cuts. That's that's the version of the movie. You know, the version of Lord of the Rings is the theatrical cuts. There are additional things like the extended cuts and and that they're great. I enjoy the extended cuts. So I would hope they would put those on. But at the end of the day, personally, I wouldn't worry about it. Now, whether I think they'll ever stream that stuff, yeah, probably. I think, listen, I think they probably are holding on to some things that they can be new content that they release later. But for now, I'm totally comfortable. As long as they've got those original theatrical cuts on there, particularly the Lord of the Rings films, I'm perfectly good. But I think eventually you'll see that stuff on there as well. I think eventually that'll come. I don't know that, but I hope so. All right, Marie Seifring writes, I don't have the quote, so I'm paraphrasing. I've seen a reporter that Clark Gregg was recently asked in an interview with Variety, would he like to work on a Marvel TV show with a bigger budget like the new Disney Plus shows? He said something along the lines of, sure, it would be great to do 10 or 12 shows like my friend Tom Hiddleston. Uh, People are reporting this as confirmation that there are plans for a second season of the new Loki show. Thoughts? Well, that's interpretation, right? That's interpretation. Clark Gregg did not say there are plans for a new season of Loki show. But listen, I, I, I don't know. Listen, there's nothing to say that they're not doing a Loki show. There's nothing to suggest that there aren't plans to do a second season of Loki. There's nothing there to say that there are, but there's also nothing there to say that they aren't. Like when they announced the Loki show, they never said a one-time only event that will never have a second season. They never said that. So, I mean, it's perfectly reasonable for somebody to think that they would do one. Now, whether or not Clark Gregg's comments equate to a confirmation, no, it doesn't. Clark Gregg's comments do not equate to a confirmation. Doesn't mean it won't happen. It very well could. But I don't think what he's saying equates uh, to a confirmation. So, no. Very well could happen, but I wouldn't take Clark's uh, words there as any kind of a confirmation thing. But that's just me. Thanks for writing that in, Marie. All right, Daniel Haygood writes, Hey, John, wasn't Zack Snyder's original Justice League plan a two-parter? Does that mean the Snyder cut will end in a big cliffhanger? That'd be too bad since I really doubt they'd get the gang together for part two. No, it was never planned as a two-parter. I think he had plans for a Justice League 2, but it was never, I do not believe it was ever planned as a two-parter. I might not be remembering that correctly, but to the best of my recollection, it was never planned as a two-parter. It was planned that they would do more films in the future. Of course they are. Every MCU film is made knowing there will be more films in the future. The DCU films were all made knowing there would be more in the future. And of course there was going to be more Justice League movies at some point. But whether Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, oh, you know where, you, I know where that comes from. I know where that comes from. That rumor about Justice League was originally going to be split into two films, that came from that false, ridiculous story 
that somebody took and put on Reddit. Remember this? Look, guys, we found this screenshot. And it was a screenshot of a screen that said, you know, um, Justice League Part 1, Dawn of Justice, Justice League Part 2, Enter the Night with K-N-I-T, right? That's where that rumor initially came from. But that was debunked. That was pure BS. It was, a, again, a random Reddit poster put the, put up that image and everybody ran with it as 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 a story. But no, it, to the best of my recollection, it was never intended to be split into two parts. It was going to leave the door open for what would be a Justice League 2 later on. But to the best of my recollection, it was never meant to be split into two films. All right. Uh, Alvin Elmore writes. The relationship studios have with fans has become very intimate. Fan outrage convinced the studio to redesign Sonic. Uh, fan passion convinced the studio to spend $20 million, uh, more million on a movie that cost almost $60 million. Streaming has changed the media landscape. Well, to go back to something that I said before, in particular, the way streaming has changed certain things is that, again, take something like the Snyder Cut. You know, Deborah Snyder said in her interview last week with The Hollywood Reporter, that the Snyder Cut would never have made it to theaters. Like Warner Brothers never would have taken the Snyder Cut, finished it, and put it in theaters. That was never going to happen, according to Deborah Snyder. But with HBO Max, suddenly a Snyder Cut representing something that had value to Warner Brothers. Like to Warner Brothers, there never was any sense of value in doing something with Snyder Cut. But HBO Max gave purpose to a Snyder Cut, again, in Warner Brothers' eyes. In Warner Brothers' eyes, there was no purpose for it, but now there's purpose. We can actually do something with this that we can benefit from. And in that, to that degree, yeah, I agree. So the, 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 the streaming landscape, it's, it's also something Deborah Snyder said in that interview, was that, you know, two years ago, once HBO started internally going around that they were going to do this streaming service, everything changed. Now there was value. Now there was purpose to something that maybe before wouldn't have had that value or purpose, according to Warner Brothers, in a theatrical release. Now it has purpose. And yeah, and I think we're going to see that type of impact on other properties. Uh, to what degree and which properties, I'm not sure. But, uh, but I think we're going to see it. And I think we're only at the beginning of this evolution. I think we're only at the beginning of this evolution. All right. Ben Rayner writes, hey, John. Well, day is here for HBO Max. Hooray. But sadly, it is not on Roku. That's something that somebody else just wrote in. I went online and checked. Turns out they don't have a deal yet with Roku or Amazon Fire Stick. I hope they work this out fast. They should, right? Roku and Fire Stick are just too big not to. I, that I don't get. How do you launch HBO Max? And again, I never knew this. How do you launch HBO Max without Roku and without Amazon Fire Stick? They are the two biggest streaming platform devices. How do, how do you not have that deal worked out before you launch with HBO Max? Because as of right now, I cannot watch HBO Max. And I'll tell you what else. I'm not about to go out and buy another streaming device just so I can have HBO Max. So uh, HBO Max, get off your asses and get those deals signed. It's, I, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. You cannot not be on the two biggest streaming platforms. You can't. So, I, I mean, yeah, I, I am shocked by that, Ben. I am absolutely shocked by that. I hope they get that corrected very quickly. 
very quickly because they are just simply excluding a lot of potential customers from being able to get their service even if they wanted it. So here's hoping they get on that really quick. All right, DA Miller writes, John, for those of us who forgot or, or was not aware, I know when Snyder left Justice League because of family issues, why was Warner Brothers not willing to wait for Snyder to return to his, to his uh, on his own? Well, th because the story goes much deeper than that. What later came out and has been verified was that Warner Brothers, listen, what has, what's true in fact and has been verified many years ago was that there was a big argument and debate within Warner Brothers to even allow Zack Snyder to direct Justice League in the first place. Warner Brothers was not happy with the direction those films were going, even though I thought Batman versus Superman was good and Man of Steel is one of the greatest comic book films of all time. Warner Brothers was not happy with the direction things were going. And after the debut of Batman versus Superman, there was a movement within Warner Brothers to get Zack Snyder removed as the director of Justice League like two weeks before they were start, supposed to start shooting. Ultimately, they decided it was too late. They needed to move forward to Zack Snyder. So they started moving forward to Zack Snyder. However, a lot of Warner Brothers execs were not happy with the direction things were going. And so Warner Brothers wanted to remove him. And when they did, and then they went to Joss Whedon, they said, we need this changed. See, some people have this impression that Josh we Joss Whedon came in and said, oh, okay, I'm going to direct this now. Well, I'm going to change everything. That's not what happened. They brought him in and directed him. This movie needs to be changed. We need it to be different because they weren't happy with the way they were going. Now, how much of that was the former head of Warner Brothers, Kevin Sujihara, who is no longer there, thankfully, and how much it was other executives, we don't know. But we do know that Warner Brothers was not happy with what they were seeing from Justice League at the time. They didn't want that version. And they instructed Joss Whedon to reshoot some stuff and create something different. Joss Whedon, everybody underestimates and undervalues the fact that Joss Whedon stepped in and saved that film. Because with Warner Brothers deciding they didn't want to go with Zack Snyder's direction anymore, with Warner Brothers deciding they wanted every, like so much of it changed like that, with Warner Brothers deciding that not only they wanted everything changed like that, but they, because of Kevin Sujihara, they wanted to keep the original release date even though they wanted all these changes. What Joss Whedon was able to do was Herculean. He stepped in at the direction of Warner Brothers, changed a lot of the film, and still released it on time, so he had no time to do it. And he ended up putting out a movie that had higher audience and critic ratings than Batman versus Superman did. Being directed to change so much of it and not have any extra time to do it, and he still managed to put out a film, which is incredible in and of itself, that he would even manage to put out a film. But he actually put out a film that had a higher audience rating and higher critic rating than Batman versus Superman did. What Joss Whedon was able to do was Herculean, and everybody completely misunderstands what he did on that movie. So that's why when I say that Joss Whedon saved that movie, people, oh, what are you talking about? I didn't even like it. It doesn't matter whether you liked it or not. Warner Brothers wanted that movie changed, and they didn't want to give them any more time to finish it, and Whedon brought it home. Whether you liked the movie that he put out or hated it, he brought it home, which was nearly an impossible task. Nearly an impossible task. Now, whether Snyder's version will be better or worse, we won't know until it comes out, and maybe it will be better. 
But again, you got to understand the circumstances that Joss Sweden was in when he was tasked with doing that. It was Herculean. It was unbelievable. I don't know many directors in Hollywood other than a Ron Howard who had to do something similar other than a Ron Howard who could have, could have pulled it off. And he pulled it off. And you may love or hate what he ended up with, but it's what it's the cards he was given. You know, he sat down to the poker table. He got dealt a certain hand. Maybe the hand was pocket aces. Maybe the hand was seven deuce off suit. Either way, he got dealt a hand and he made the best out of it that he could. And I think people owe more respect to Joss Whedon for what he was able to do under those circumstances. It's because some people who wanted the Snyder cut, they, for some warped reason, hold Joss Whedon responsible for the fact that we didn't get. No, it's not. Whether it was Kevin Sujahara or other execs of Warner Brothers, that's what they a situation that they created. Joss Whedon had to just step in and go, this is a mess that Warner Brothers has created. Okay, you want to change all this and you don't want to give us any more time because Kevin Sujahara has got to get his bonus. You don't want to give us any more time. We've got to keep the release date, but you want me to change everything? Fuck. All right. And he did it. And I think he deserves way more respect for that, for what he was able to accomplish. And I think people completely misunderstand his contributions there. But anyway, that's just me. Um, anyway, uh, Honest Asian Guy writes, as we're just about out of time, but I said we we're going to be done. We we're going to get through all the questions today, and I think we're going to do it. Honest Asian Guy writes, one of two. Hey, John, have you seen the 1995 Hong Kong film, A High Risk? I have not, but I've had somebody else mention that one to me. This diehard ripoff was meant to be the first pairing of screen icons Jet Li and Jackie Chan, but after Jackie Chan bailed on the project, the salty producers turned it into a slapstick comedy, uh, making vicious fun of Jackie's personal and professional life. There is even a character named Frankie who may or may not have done his own stunts, LOL. Jet Li has since apologized to Jackie for appearing in the film. Have an awesome day. I have never heard of that that's that sounds like we're just talking about warner brothers and behind the scenes drama and all that kind of stuff that sounds like some high behind the scenes drama i have not even heard of that story but that's disturbing <laughs> that's now i gotta go and check that one out thank you for putting that on the radar uh, on a station guy i gotta go check that out now because that i actually i'm more interested in the story behind it now than i am of the movie itself the way you just described it i'm actually really curious to find out more about that thank you for that sir all right and an Oz viewer writes um uh hi john disabled wheelchair bound screenwriter and reviewer here i started a blog on facebook and now i get paid by screen rent oh nice uh to the disabled person who wrote in just start writing uh and all things are possible never give up amen brother well said well said and the fact that you face challenges and you yourself, you write for a prominent outlet like Screen Rant. By the way, Screen Rant, created by a friend of mine, Vic Holterman, was the creator of Screen Rant, uh, made it into a magnificent site. Uh, and of course, he sold, Vic sold Screen Rant a number of years ago, and he, he so he no, he's no longer associated with it. But yeah, my uh, a friend of mine, a really good guy, Vic Holterman, uh, was, this, was the guy who started Screen Rant, actually, started... I think Screen Rant launched just like a few weeks after my site, the movie blog launched. And that, and then shortly after Screen Rant launched, Vic and I kind of st started corresponding with each other. And then we finally met each other at, at Comic-Con and we would get together every year at Comic-Con. And then Vic even came out to LA a little while ago. And then we, I got to hang out with him there. Just a good, good guy. 
um, Vic Holterman. And, um, and, you know, I long, long, long time ago sold the movie blog and Vic continued on with Screen Rant and grew it into the one of, one of the most uh, reputable uh, when Vic was there and, and one of the most recognizable online uh, film outlets and pop culture outlets and it, and he sold it and it continues on to being one of the most recognizable ones out there. So, Hey, good on you and good words for that previous writer who wrote in. Thank you for writing that in, man. I really appreciate that. All right. Uh, next up and final question of the day. And we're going to do, I told you we would get done in time today. Uh, Evan Ryan writes, Hey John, big fan. Thank you for all the entertainment. Well, thank you for that, for that, Evan. I appreciate that, man. Will we ever see the TV show Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Punisher, etc. on Disney Plus? Also, who are you picking between Woodley and Burns? Thanks. I'm picking Woodley. There's not a lot of welterweights that I don't think Woodley can beat and beat fairly easily. Um, Usman is one of the guys he can't beat. But I think Woodley beats almost anybody else in the division. So I'm, I'm going to go with Woodley. I don't think we're ever going to see those shows on Disney Plus because they are Netflix shows. They're owned by Netflix. Those shows are owned by Netflix. So I don't think – that doesn't mean it's impossible. And that doesn't mean deals can't be made. They could. All things being equal, though, and if you know nothing changes, then I don't think we're ever going to see those on Disney Plus, no. I don't think we're going to see those there. But you never know what could change in the future. Plus, I'm not sure Kevin Feige wants those shows on Disney+. Plus. So I'd say it's a little bit less than a coin toss. I'd, I'd peg the chances of us ever seeing those shows on Disney+, Plus, maybe around 20%. Maybe around 20%. Certainly possible. Certainly possible. But I, I don't think likely. All right, guys. That will do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of the show, guys. Listen, the fact that you would take out part of your day and spend it with us here is a huge honor, and we thank all of you guys for that. Uh, thanks again to Robert Meyer Burnett. He'll be back on the show, of course, again a little bit later. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in all the questions. Not just because you gave us great, fun things to talk about, but also... You supported this channel while you did it. And by the way, you can send in those questions anytime. You don't have to wait for the show to be live. You can send in those questions anytime, 24-7, at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can just click on the link that's in the description of this video. And uh, you can, if you get them in early, they'll even be one of the first questions addressed. But you can send them in anytime. So thank you to all you guys who sent those in. All right, guys, please remember. Do the four main things. Stay smart. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves. And please take care of each other. Uh, that'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.